Hey listeners, it's Alex, your host of EOA, Entrepreneurs of Asia, the show where we talk to founders, investors, and entrepreneurs impacting the Asia region and beyond. Who do we want to talk to? Worldwide entrepreneurs who can contribute positively to the startup ecosystem. Today's episode was recorded a few months back with my good friend, Jonathan Liang. He's an international fashion designer turned brand expert. Probably because of my bubble, I haven't come across too many fashion entrepreneurs, let alone meeting or coming across the creative aspect of entrepreneurship. Jonathan Liang's brand, called Jonathan Liang, spans 11 locations from China, Japan, Singapore, Malaysia, and Hong Kong, and more. While he spent most of his career in Paris from doing corporate luxury fashion to smaller popular brands such as Yeho, he eventually took the dive to create his own fashion brand and continues this today while also working as a brand director for the young conglomerate KSK. For those interested in KSK, feel free to see episode 11, where we talk to Joanne Kwa, the CEO of KSK Group. This episode covers important and sometimes overlooked aspects of entrepreneurship, from what exactly is branding and design, and how culture ties into them. We also get to hear a bit of Jonathan's story, coming from a small city Penang, Malaysia, to launching his fashion career to runways of Paris and London. We also get to hear Jonathan's version of what fashion design solves, which might be somewhat controversial, and we also learn about what it takes to succeed in corporate fashion luxury. Let's see what we learn and dive right in. Jonathan Leon, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm okay. <laughs> it's okay. a lockdown, so. Yes, we are having our third lockdown here in Malaysia, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, no, it's the second one. Okay, well, I guess, yeah, second like, official. Like a, the other like one was restricted like movement. Full restriction lockdown, yeah. this is the second one. Yeah, but uh, ironically, people can still go jogging and they can still... Go to work. Walk, yeah, walk the dogs. So just put up roadblocks, make it more of a hassle. <laughs> yeah. But you are working from home, right? I've been working from home. Okay, so for a brief introduction, uh, you are born 1988? I am born 1988 in Penang. Yes, Penang boy. Um, I'm a Penang boy, uh, but I lived in KL my entire life. So after I was born, I was immediately shipped to um, KL. Okay, so you have no... So Penang is in the north of Malaysia. It's an island which is predominantly Chinese. Very different culture, I guess. Uh, from. Different. It's all about food there. Yeah, a lot of food. And so you have any family left there or no? Oh, yeah, yeah. All my families are uh, Okay. Yeah. Just your direct family moved to KL? Yeah. What What was the cause? Uh, better jobs. <laughs> okay, which is quite typical, right? People yeah. looking for better opportunities. Uh, and then you studied at Raffles College for Fine Arts, right? No, it was the One Academy for Fine Arts. Uh, one Academy for Fine Arts. Yeah, okay. after I finished that, I still, you know, I still wanted to study. And so I got into fashion, which was in Raffles. Okay, so it was uh, two years, two years, or what yeah, was it? Yeah, it was two years, two years. Okay, uh, and I guess for Asia, I don't know, is Raffles considered one of the best fashion schools? For Asia? Yeah, I think uh, in Southeast Asia it is. Um, okay. For Asia, you have a lot of other good schools as well. Um, in Japan for fashion and in Seoul as well, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, in, in, in Southeast Asia, Raffles is actually one of the best ones. Okay. So can you compare your thoughts around, because you've lived all, well, you lived in Paris, uh, KL. Where else have you lived? Anywhere else? Okay. So after um, graduating in uh, KL, uh, I did like a quick show. I was scouted and um, I was invited to do a show in London. 
um, at the Somerset House. Um, mm. uh, so that was just right after, you know, that was right before graduation, actually. Um, and then through that show, got a little bit of explosion in London with the press and media, um, was scouted by some people there to uh, uh, and offered a spot as, uh, you know, a assistant junior designer at Givenchy in Paris. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and I decided to take that offer. So I moved to France. That was in 2010, I believe. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's very early on. You had a lot of uh, traction. So my, my question about your schooling then is like, because you come from Southeast Asia, which is really not probably well known to be a fashion not uh, bastion for anything at all. Right. Uh, it's kind of like a backwater for fashion probably. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, and then, you know, you, you studied at raffles, but then how do you, so, and then you're getting scouted and brought to all these countries and then you're meeting a lot of the peers who are also being scouted, but probably from Europe, from us, right? These guys probably studied at FIT, central St. Martin, some of the best schools yeah, in the world for fashion. fashion the world. How do you think about yourself people, but you know, despite you also being there? Was it like an inferior complex? Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> I think like when I when when I was in Malaysia and and you know I like I I, I participated in a couple of fashion week, um, won a couple of awards um, here in Asia as well. Got to show in London. Um, got scouted. You know, it, it puts you at the top of the world. I think you're like really yeah. already. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you you go to a place uh, of that level. And you realize you're just one of the many talents they've found and you're not that special after all. And it takes mm. a lot of hard work. And then uh, what about the interactions with those other peers? Uh, how was that? Were they looking down on you? Uh, what was that like? I don't think anyone... I, I don't know if, and, if every designer looks down on each other, but we definitely had different perspective on what design was. Okay, uh, that's uh, interesting. That, 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 that's, that's already uh, you know consensus for for um, conflict. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Okay, and then after that, you like you said, you were picked up at Givenchy, but it's about uh, one year with LVMH, basically, which is the parent company, right? Uh, yeah. So Givenchy, and then you moved on to... Uh, and then we had... Uh, and, and then after that, I did a transfer, and we moved on to uh, Dior for a while. Yeah. Um, and I thought corporate fashion was not... was a little bit too intense for me. So um, we moved on to Surface to Air, which is a smaller contemporary brand in France. Then I got offered a senior designer role at Eero right after, which is also yeah. a contemporary brand in France. And I thought I was more relaxed in this contemporary mm. brand. It's not as crazy competitive or, uh, uh, or you know, just a bit toxic. Uh, yeah. I decided, um, you know, maybe that's more for me. And I, I, I yeah. And, and I think through this job, I had more time um, to myself. And so I think that's when I started my brand with my business partner as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for people who don't know, of course, the two big names, Givenchy and Dior, is under LVMH, luxury, and uh, the big monopolies in, in luxury. You moved to Eero, which is, at the time, was it as big as it is now? Not really. Uh, yeah. still very, like, considered like a local brand. Yeah, but now, now the traffic is quite good. I saw on the website yeah. they're getting like about 200,000 visits a day. Yeah. Uh, sorry, a month. And then uh, they sell in many, many countries. Okay, I think at this point. Really well. Yeah, so that's it's quite interesting that you – and was there any influence from them to yours? Because I feel like the sites are quite – you know, your site to their site looks similar. I think the structure of what I've learned how to run 
fashion brands with them is quite interesting. Um, yeah. I, I've learned a lot through all these um, uh, brands and how to be really business minded at the same time that, you know, it's really not about design. I guess when you're in corporate fashion, it was all about design because that's what you're supposed to think of. Um, you only focus in corporate. Clients. Yeah. You hired mm-hmm. for that one role. You have to excel in that one role. So that's all you have to think about day in, day out, you know, yeah. day out. Um, but when you're doing like maybe like just smaller brands, you, you think about the business aspect as well on, on how the, your product designs can actually influence, not influence, and how, how it affects the business. Yeah, and, and basically Eero was started by two brothers who were doing music and then they're based out of New York, they decided just to start making women's clothing one day, right? And you worked directly with them? No, no, no. I was with the, uh, I was the, with the other head of departments. Ah, okay. So you were brought into basically a senior designer for uh, one of their, I don't know, what, what were they, what you have, what they have they various do? departments. <laughs> so they were focused on a lot of like leather jackets, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I was focused on the dresses. I guess that makes sense because now for your own brand line, uh, Jonathan Liang, right? You also primarily focus on women's fashion and dresses. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after that, after Paris, you actually came back to KL from 2014-2016, uh, which must have been a very different experience. Um, how was that adjustment? Um, so when I came back to KL, yeah, it was in 2019, I believe. I thought. Oh, so you were working for the local kale companies from Paris? Yeah, back and forth. Okay, so you were you were working from uh, Nelissa Hellman, which is a local Malaysian and shoe DD company. Collective as well, and then DD Collective as um, well. Okay, yeah, so, so all you were doing back and forth. I was still based in Paris for a really long time. I ran my own brand from Paris, so um, so yeah, that 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 took a while. Uh, <laughs> nine years in in France, and until I decided to move back. Uh, Full time for, 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 for what you're doing today, for, right? For what I'm doing today, which I believe you'll talk about later. Yeah. So you're now currently brand director for a growing conglomerate, KSK, which we had the CEO on earlier, mm-hmm. and which you kindly introduced me to. Uh, and then uh, that's what you've been doing since uh, June 2018. Yes. Okay. So I want to start uh, with some quotes I found doing some research. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the quote and I'll, I'll kind of hear what you want to think about it. The dream was to be an explorer, if that even is a real profession. And all my destinations were non-existent, but those were the most adventurous times of my life. I'll give you a second quote. The socialite family turns its attention to the shining light that Jonathan Liang, the young Malaysian prodigy based in Paris. (laughs) Is this you? Uh, I guess. uh, I guess the first quote was from me long ago. Yeah. So what's that about? That still stands. I get bored really easily, so I need to keep exploring. Um, I think I I grew up with this notion of being an explorer when I was a kid. When people ask, "What did you want? What do you want to be when you grow up?" Uh, you know, uh, you want to be an artist because I was drawing all the time, right? So like, do you want to be an artist or an illustrator, etc.? And I'm like, no, I want to be an explorer. (laughs) If that made sense. Okay. Uh, and I think like that sort of still translates to what I do do today. Uh, uh, I do want to explore a lot of things uh, in, you know, in in the creative field. Uh, yeah. And I, I went from fine arts to illustrations to fashion to design. And I guess like I'm at this point of my life where I'm settling on on one part of the creative field that I feel can fulfill that Ex- exploration part yeah mm. 
Okay. And then, uh, are, are you really a prodigy? Uh, no. That, 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 <laughs> okay. That's not, that, that's just an opinion by people. So, I mean, the, the PR is well done. So, I mean, you've done quite a lot of PR, like you told me earlier, like you've probably told your story so many times. Um, how much of this is like uh, the writers taking liberties to make content more sensational or... I mean, I, don't get me wrong. No matter what, you know, from from the guy that I know, you're definitely a down to earth guy, very cool person. Always, we always have great discussion, right? Yeah. Uh, and a solid entrepreneur, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and then, uh, so I mean, is this just writers taking liberties, or or what? What is is this just the, the need for PR to for fashion to write in this kind of way? I think in fashion, they do, they definitely do like to write in a kind of way. Flowery media in general, in general. They would paint a picture of somebody, right, for the audience. I yeah. think everybody knows that. Um, fake news yeah. is a thing. So, uh, so I mean, uh, um, it's really hard to. I, oh, I, I mean, I I come from a branding background, as well. Yeah, and that's what I'm doing now too, um, in mm-hmm. branding. So yeah, I kind of get it at the same time why personas works for the audience that you're trying to hit, but it really depends on the context. Uh, mm, many, that's a good point. In many cases, yeah. when, you're, what, what, when you're talking about um, how they're writing about me, um, whether it's a fashion thing, I don't think it's just fashion. I think you see mm. a lot of this in politics. <laughs> it's a lot of what? You see a lot of, a lot of this in politics, right? Politics. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, I see. I see. And, and, and other industries as well. And... Uh, um, whether it's bad or not, I I think it's not good. Neither it's bad. Um, yeah. really it depends on context and the industry you're working in and who you want to reach out. So, uh, uh, and, and who the audience is. So yeah, fashion yeah. does right like that. But so does so does everybody else. And whether I'm like that or not, whether I'm a prodigy, uh, it's not <laughs> a fact. That's just an opinion by people. Yeah. Uh, fact about me is I just love eating and lying down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like so because it's it's very jarring because i for me one i i don't consume that kind of content so when i'm doing the research and reading this is like wow is that the jonathan i know like i just met you through a mutual friend mm-hmm. and we just kind of you know chill hang out yeah. and talk about stuff and you know help each other when we can yeah uh so it's just very interesting to see a very different perspective but your point is right like i think there is a means to an end to it. It does serve a purpose for the audience. That's part of a branding, part of a story, part of a goal. Mm-hmm. And it's just definitely me serve, serving it up and reading. It's just not the target audience probably. Uh, and I just know you as a very different yeah. kind of version of that, I guess. So, uh, but that's fair, fair point that, you know, it's just not nonsense. It actually has um, actual substance to it. Right. Okay. So uh, and then in your own words, besides lying down and eating then uh who is the jonathan liang then in and you know if you're going to paint your own picture not in anyone else's words i think i really like um i think i just really like create cre- creating worlds and story okay uh that's 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 why I'm as, as a person oof, i feel like this can be taken out uh, out of context like oh he loves lying but no um <laughs> i love creating a whole new dimension for things. I believe that everything is so connected in a way. Uh, what you choose to wear, what color you pick at, in a day, your choices in life, these are all connected somehow to culture, social economics, 
everything, everything around you, how you grew up, mm. all around you. All this connection helps build a, I feel like all these connections becomes a material that I love investigating and then use it to connect to you. So I feel like that's where the power of branding is. Tell me an audience that you want. I'll find a way to, to research and discover who they are and what brought them to decide on a certain thing or a choice in life or even a simple thing as why did, why did they decide to buy this red dress? Mm. And when I can find out what triggers that, um, those are good materials for me to try to connect to them even more, to try to understand them and to try to get them to listen to my story as well. So I, I find it really fun and intriguing. Uh, so you're basically... Yeah. I, I, and I'm just trying to tie that to me as a person. I, I, I'm yeah. really intrigued by stuff like that. So I guess it does tie back to your, your quote of being this kind of explorer and uh, it gets more practical in the sense where yeah. uh, you can bring value through the exploration of, of people. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's kind of my friend, explorer or manipulative megalomaniac, <laughs> either one. I yeah. But no, I mean, definitely explorer. I, it's not, I don't think it's manipulation at all. I think it's understanding people. Um, so what, mm-hmm. so what, why do you bring up? Cause I mean, it seems that like, have you been accused of this before or like what's what's the concern about mm, I've never been accused about that before yeah. then why, why caveat but, it then? but I feel like there's always good and bad to everything okay like if this power that you will that's how powerful branding is this sort of power that someone can yield uh, there's always a good and bad right yeah um, uh, our lives are now completely taken over by algorithms. Yeah. Um, there's good and bad in that. Your algorithms can help you move forward, um, discover so many things. But algorithm is also a tool that can manipulate you and affect your choices. And we've seen that happening for the worst in so many cases. So I'm not gonna like yeah. sit here and you know disregard this um, fact as well and like paint what I do and um, what I'm doing is something noble or or or, or you know world. I see what you mean. I think there's a lot yeah. of good and bad and stuff like that, and I always feel like it's fair for people to um, be aware about that and make their own um, choice. Okay, so let's 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 dig in that a little bit then. So. The let's what is the good and what is the bad specifically in a context for branding then because uh, like like you said uh, the, we're seeing this all around the world the U.S. what's happening there currently which is a disaster and even in probably Malaysia like with the current lockdown that we had which is apparently like everyone keeps talking about how politically motivated that is yeah right? um, so but in your specific context in in your world what are some of these goods and bads that you're highlighting. Okay, so take take the power of branding, uh, for example, in politics um, and how the U.S. has painted itself as what it is today. I give it up okay. to the States, honestly. Like the U.S., they're, they're, the power of branding and marketing is um, knows no bounds. Um, yeah. They're able to turn certain things into the enemy of in the eyes of the world. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they can turn anything that they do not like into uh, something people can collectively hate around the world or love. So uh, looking at Donald Trump as well, um, good branding, honestly, who, to his audience. He just he knows how to brand himself mm-hmm. to his audience. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there are those that are more woke and understand a lot of this, um, you know, um, facade that he's putting out. 
but that that's just branding in general. Uh, it's very neutral. Um, it mm. relates to your audience directly, and some audiences have different morals from you. Am I allowed to say bad or good morals? I don't know. I'm not the arbiter of of you know yeah. like morals like this, right? Um, uh, but what I try to do is empathize with the thoughts of everybody, mm-hmm. um, and 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 how branding actually affects this. But the bad part is it 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 also affects um, bad things like you know like hate hate messages, mm-hmm. um, how you promote hate messages, how you promote um, you know violence, uh, neo Nazis, anti Semitic responses, and things like that. Um, it's all also part of bad branding. Uh, yeah. And I recently watched this um, um, this guy called what's his name again David Black or something who recently who was from the former white nationalist who turned um, who reformed and now he's not and he's trying to learn about people and and cultures and you know the origins of race and everything and so mm-hmm. when he was talking about how he transitioned from being this um, white nationalist into someone who is not. Um, I realized that everything, the, um, the group he was in, the white nationalist he was in, it was all branding. Yeah. It was truly just branding on their side. How they branded themselves as intellects, as um, smart people, not, not as violent people at all. They, they branded mm-hmm. themselves as this intellect, intellectual people that does not use like the N-word or, or der- derogatory terms. They actually used facts to convince normal people. They were aiming for normal people. They were not aiming for dumb people. Yeah. So I thought that was so cool. I was like, wow, okay, that's that's the power of branding. Uh, when placed in really uh, the uh, wrong hands. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what you're saying is that's used to the effect of branding towards inciting harm, which I guess what you're saying is bad. Yes. So okay. that's why I feel like um, when, when we talk about branding, I talk about the good. I also want to talk about the bad. That it gives people the ability to make their, you know, your final assumptions and choices about the power of, the power of branding and yeah. you know, um, how much reach it actually has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, then along those lines, then what's the opposite side? Like you're, you're saying that there's a good, right? And you're saying, you know, we're not tricking people and people can misuse branding. But then what, what is the good side? For me, the good is definitely the enhancement of your life, how it enhances your life, how it brings joy to you, um, why you decide to come to us to, let's say, buy something from us or join our group of beliefs uh, or, or system um, or live in our ecosystem that we've created in, in this branding world, right? Um, it's solely to enhance your life. Where there's good, there's where there's bad. There's also good. Yin and Yang is always there. Uh, you have um, there are um, you know um, going for sustainability, um, mm. organic food, ways to improve the world. Co- talking about social justice, you know, or what moral is deemed right, um, or just things that does not hurt people and make people happy. You have that, and um. Uh, I, but I feel like that's sometimes on the always on the losing side because it's so much easier to be bad than good, uh, and that's just human nature sometimes. Um, well, not bad or good, sorry, more like chaos. <laughs> Are you more of a pessimist? Uh, you're saying what? You're more of a pessimist? No, I'm a realist. <laughs> yeah, pragmatic. Uh, I'm pragmatic, but I'm more optimistic. I still choose to see the good in everything. I like 
So like if something bad happens, I feel like okay, it definitely came from somewhere, right? Like mm-hmm. why do you think this way? Why do people think this way? It came from somewhere. You know, so how do we rebrand things to help them see um you know the better light? Yeah. Like that's my job most of the time. Like right now, what I, I want to brand things in a way that that enhances people's lives, uh, that gives them a better sense of meaning and purpose as well. Um, and that justifies their purchase if ever I'm going to brand something that is more product-based. Yeah. yeah. That's actually, it sounds very similar to a, a very common concept in leadership called uh, conscious leadership where uh, you don't victimize yourself, but you say how, and then uh, it's usually when people are making criticisms, a few people making criticisms towards you, like if it's more than one person, it's probably something there, right? Uh, but the, the better way to grow as a person, of course, is just to accept every criticism and saying, how am I, possibly making that come true, which is exactly what you're kind of saying, right? You're not victimizing yourself and you're saying, okay, there is bad, but then what, what happened? Like, what did I do to maybe make this happen? And then only, the only thing you do pragmatically is, you know, try to make it better. Right. Well, and, right. and then as, as, as a person, you grow much faster this way, instead of uh, blaming, deflecting, uh, you know, you try to accept and try to make things better instead. You're absolutely right. Um, so I want to talk about, since we were talking about Trump and, and this uh, idea of white nationalism, I, it kind of reminded me of something interesting in Malaysia in, in the fashion world and uh, specifically with, you know, catalog models and people always telling me from my Zalora days till now that Malaysian consumers prefer seeing white people when they buy clothing. Um, what, what is this need for Malaysia to embrace this white ideal or white culture uh, I mean, of course, the easy answers are always like uh, language. So we consume uh, Western media, English media easier and colonial past. But I feel like it has to run deeper, right? Is this there like cognitive bias that Malaysians need to resolve? Or is this just like a menage of culture that is just taking it and making it its own thing? Hmm. When it comes to Malaysia? Yeah, I mean, is this Malaysian? I guess Singapore to an extent too. But like, say you go to Vietnam, they're going to want to see Vietnamese models. You go to Thailand, they're going to want to see Thai models, Right. Uh, maybe Indonesia, I'm not too sure, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Okay, back then, I think back then, maybe 10 years ago, def- we definitely, uh, in Malaysia, there was definitely some white um, inferiority complex, or was it superiority complex, or this thing that we actually do worship, um, Caucasians. Uh, yeah. It was there, uh, and I was part of that problem too, that's for sure. Uh, as the world pr- uh, progressed and, you know, I went out and I was able to just appreciate my cul- uh, culture a little bit more when I lived abroad, yeah. uh, you, I really see things from a different perspective. You know, like media in Malaysia has always, uh, like I said, you know, Hollywood and everything yeah. back then, um, before diversity was a thing, um, mm. it's all branding. It, everything was painted mm. so well that, you know, they were just like, the they did everything better. They did movies better. They did fashion better. They did you know, art better, everything like that. So when, when they do all these cultural things better, that becomes like what they, they were, um, you somehow in your head, they were painted as like the pioneers of all these things. And because it was so ingrained in your culture growing up as well, you thought that was the benchmark for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. The West was the benchmark. Yeah. But as time moved on, as diversity became a real thing, as the world, as as internet existed as yep. well, um, it connected everybody. And then we could start seeing what people were doing that were way better or that was way ahead before. 
um, you know, in culture, in art, and everything. I think culture and art is so important because that that establishes um pretty much the lives of everybody. Uh, like I feel like politics is just one small one small bit. Yes, sure, it affects your life, it affects your bureaucratic uh, aspect of your life, but you're still more affected by art and culture as much as as people as much as people say like they're not I'm not into art I'm not into this um, the music they listen to the choices they make in their clothing um, uh, the things that they buy every day the food that they eat it's all art and culture so yeah. um, uh, uh, and so it was at one point so affected by the West but now it's not now even in Malaysia it's all about homegrown it's all about the local talents it's about how much we've been able to achieve alone um, and outside there are just so many amazing malaysians working in pixar in lvmh and you know all, they're everywhere they're everywhere we're everywhere and uh, it's not that we've abandoned our countries at all it's just that right now to fulfill the selfish goals of everybody's own um, personal creative hunger the out the outside world is offering more than malaysia I mean that's uh, yeah. So that's coming from like a, a Malaysian context, uh, and I mean I think yeah. So your answer is pretty much uh, a big part of it was media and buying into it, and you're telling me it goes all the way down to the psyche of you choosing the clothes you buy. You prefer to see someone who doesn't look like you, and because you don't see that effect in other countries, are you telling me that because they speak a different language, the media didn't penetrate as well, so therefore they don't have that psyche issue? in like other countries uh for other countries i mean also you have experience in japan and, and, and china as well i can't really speak to those countries i don't have as much experience but um would you say what you said about malaysia just now would apply to them to other countries in the north asia southeast asia i think like now everyone uses asian models um as reference already uh and or or models of their own respective country definitely mm -hmm. Um, but there's still remnants of using foreign Caucasian models in there yeah. that still lingers because that sort of, and it's an archaic way of thinking, it sort of still establishes the brand as an international brand, which would then sort of help justify your pricing with your audience and also elevate your brand equity and positioning with your audience. That sounds like a terrible lens to view your world in right it's just like it is. It's, it's denigrating yourself to to so much and i find right. it so i find it so ironic because i i think i grew growing up in america i kind of have that lens in context because you don't know better but once you mm -hmm. leave america like those things stop mattering even though i'm the most foreign person here in asia like any country I go, i'll be the most foreign no matter what uh it's just like with my mouth right but like I just will blend in as long as I don't say anything. People never, even if I speak up, they won't treat me differently because I just kind of look the same. Which, and I never thought that being a minority uh, from America, because of how powerful American media and soft culture is, what you're saying essentially, right? Uh, the, uh, what I escaped still holds me down from the context of how other people have measured their lives Mm -hmm. and, and and then the representation issue then comes up again. Like it is important to see more uh, Asian Americans in Western media to further dissolve that that that, that lens that, that there are differences. Even though outside the world, I always felt that it doesn't matter as much because 
everyone looks the same in Asia, right? Well, not, I mean, that's, that's a massive generalization, but people <laughs> are more familiar of what they see, which is different from the West, right? Yeah. And I think you come from a very difficult position as well, being um, Asian American um, and growing up in America and experiencing a lot of complex um, identities, identity <laughs> yes. crisis. Uh, so you definitely, I mean, like, so I always feel like Asian Americans, they understand um, some cultural hunger that um, that Asians who grew up in Asia do not understand. Yeah, you you probably you'd probably uh, went through. Uh, you'd probably like you know bumped or had conversations with Asians from Asia. You know, you talk about your um, disadvantages, blah blah blah, and they'll probably tell you like, we've never felt that. Yeah, we've never right. felt racism. We never felt that. Well, I'm like, duh, of course not. Yeah. You're not the minority in where you're at. But that doesn't invalidate what you feel growing up there or the culture that has been affected growing up there. Yeah. Um, it's actually also Asians in Asia's responsibility to uphold that part of that culture, even in, um, even in other parts of the world. Uh, because, you know, if the West has been doing it and they were able to, you know, um, uh, Oh, not to say in fact, what's a better way? Um, I mean, it is in fact. I mean, it is though, right? It, it's fact. other 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 cultures and um, uh, it's not uh, a negative way. It's just uh, what it is. Way. Yeah, what's a better word for it? Like to, like to to really affect us. Influence, or, influence, influence. Yeah, to influence other cultures. Then I feel like it's only fair that we are also able to influence them in a positive way. Uh, you know, I think that we've. Um, like I said, there's no good and bad, really. It's it's really just context. Hollywood culture can be interesting as well. We've yeah. learned so much from Hollywood. It's just cross-learning, really. Yeah. But um, but then you you have the bad parts of like whitewashing or things like that. There's yeah. always good and bad everywhere. Um, it's it's really just finding the good in in in, in this part um of of this concept and 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 you know playing it to 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 enhance your society and I think that's where the power of branding is. Uh, how, how how the power of branding has been used in good and bad ways. And yeah. it's really on the hands of everybody, not one single person or country. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, yeah, cause I, I'm kind of torn because in one matters, I thought I left that behind, but it still matters because of how powerful the, the, the Western influence of media and culture has been. Mm-hmm. But it's like you said, it does go both ways now. And I guess we're seeing more of that, that mixing and it's kind of like the, the frontier now to see where that goes. Right. Uh, Okay, so then I'd like to move on to talk about your more of your work experiences. Um, tell us about LVMH. Uh, sounds like a dream job, but what's the reality? Mm, I think a corporate dream job um, in fashion is always going to be with LVMH Group, the Gucci Group, the Caring, uh, Chanel yeah. Group, Hermes. Um, but a corporate still corporate, right? Uh, yeah. that you don't really get any creative freedom ever. Mm. Uh, it's always a business first. Yeah. So you have to think business first, uh, and it trickles all the way down. So the power of hierarchy is strong there, um, and I've always been a bit of an anarchist. <laughs> you you have the ar- you have the entrepreneur spirit in you, uh, where you know authority scares me or annoys me, either one, maybe yeah. both. So hierarchy never really worked for me very well. Um, even in the way I work right now, it's always been like we work together, not for each other. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Um, and 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 so I think that that was what affected my whole perception working in a corporate brand. 
nonetheless, it was one of the best learning experience to deal with people. The work was not hard. The work for me never was hard. Honestly, I can work 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day or to 8 a.m. I mean, right now I'm working 8 a.m. to 5 a.m. every day and I'm okay with it. Mm. Three hours sleep a week, mm, that's fine. Um, so it's never really the work for me. It's always been about the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and sometimes um, a, a corporate like that teaches really teaches me how to deal with people. And when it comes to dealing with people, it's all about your personal branding already. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think I always tell everybody I've met um, who asks me for advice, like 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 no, I'm having a tough time in, at a job. Or John, how do you like? How are you able to convince the bosses so easy? How are you able to do this? This is so easy. And I, and I'm like, um, one thing you don't do is don't ever bootleg somebody. Don't ever try to compliment them or make or, or try to be or just try to apple polish them. It never works as much as you know you see some people doing it. It's too obvious. You get on the annoying side of people. What you have to do is just be really real but likable. It's all in your delivery. The moment you're liked, even your crappy ideas is going to fly with them. Mm. Anything you say will be easily well, you know, you can convince them. The moment you're on their bad side that they don't like you or anything, um, your best ideas is going to mean nothing. You can present and have the best ideas. Your bosses are not going to buy it. It, it, almost, it almost sounds like a lesson from in, uh, Andrew Carnegie's or Dale Carnegie's, sorry, one of those Carnegie's books on how to win, how to make friends and influence people. It almost sounds very similar to, to what okay. you're saying. Not read that, but uh, this is like what I what I think I've I've noticed with like people that I've worked with before. I have seen those who does a lot of apple polishing. They think they're getting somewhere, but they're actually not getting anywhere, mm. and they're just ending up as the assistant of the people they're working for. Yeah. Um, I guess that's the life they want to lead. I guess no judgment. Then you have one that are like very charismatic, but they're not bootlickers. They're just very real about what they say. They're yeah. very factual, but they deliver it in a very nice way. Like yep. they tell it in a way that is not condescending, that sounds almost helpful. And so everybody just likes them. Yep. And so anything they say becomes law. Yep. So I, 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 I notice how some of them are like that. And so I try to emulate that. And I notice that that's actually personal branding, how you branded yourself and how you want people to mm-hmm. see you. So yeah, going back to your first question, tying it back, the media can say whatever they want. And they've probably... Um, painted me in this way that I do meet people and people are always like, oh, it's Jonathan. Oh my God, I'm like, why are you reacting that way? Yeah. They're like, no, it's a bit intimidating. And I'm like, I just want to have lunch with you. That's it. Just want to lie down and sleep. <laughs> you can have McDonald's and I don't care. Yeah. As long as you have good conversation, that's totally fine. Yeah. And then uh, people find out that, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm dead. I'm just yeah. normal. You're, you're human just like anyone else. Um, so what, what was the, the harshness then? It was one year. It was too much. What was the trigger? What was the bad aspects to, to working in corporate like, and luxury? Like, right. I think at some point it's acceptable, right? So you want to distance yourself from toxic people because mental health first. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I learned that at a very early um, age as well. Um, so I decided to put my mental health first and disconnect myself from, from, from a very bad workplace. Um, and it's by no means any brand's fault. Okay. I think like it's just you, you, you bring in um, a company that brings in too many smart, talented people will always have this problem. Um, intelligent people are difficult people in general. Mm. 
sure you and I are as well. Like, like, <laughs> the, so yeah. not the easiest people to work with. Yeah. Um, if you ask any of our, our peers, but uh, put ten of us in one place. I think two is fine. Three is okay. Four is fine. Five max. But when you have ten, fifteen, twenty working on the same thing, uh, that becomes a problem. Mm. <laughs> is is this your experience at at the in Paris then when you're working for? Yeah, that was that, that was pretty much my experience in Paris. And I mean, like you were young though. Like it was only one year. Do you think you called it quits too early then? No, I don't think so. I've always believed like like time frame and age is never really an issue for anything and should not and it's just a social construct. Yeah. <laughs> uh I, I, I think like there there is no time and place for everything all the time. Yeah. Uh there are just time times when you have to like say enough. Mm-hmm. Uh that you have to realize what you really want. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I come from a place that's a little bit more privileged yeah. to say that. I'm not gonna deny that, you yeah. know. Like, just leave a job at a young age. People will be like, "Yeah, John, you can do that because, like, you know, you probably have to pay rent and stuff." And they're right. I'm not <laughs> gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna invalidate their struggles as well. Yeah. Uh, I come from a place of privilege. So I was able to do that. Um, and 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 I think that's that's the that that is the problem and bias in fashion. That's why fashion has always been considered a very elitist um, uh, industry. Uh, you need money. Um, you're gonna be on the top if you're from someone with from an influential pa- uh, family or a family with money. It's gonna be much easier for you. If you're not, prepare to really, really struggle for a long, long time. Mm, so I guess you kind of saw that early, and then uh, you kind of knew. I, I guess you I found it. yourself earlier, and you knew what you wanted. And I guess um, through that, you realized there's no point to struggle in that turmoil because it wasn't gonna get you where you wanted to be. And back then, yeah. what were you thinking then? Where did you want to be back then? Um, I wanted to, I think like after dealing with all this, I wanted to dwell into branding. Mm. And But first I was still like, mm, how do I get into branding? I still had to do, I had to, I had to pay my dues as a designer. So I took on, I took on other roles in Dior, in, in, in service to earn Eero. Then, then, um, then came the opportunity with DD Collective, which was due to the Duchess in the past, got me on as a creative director and allowed me to rebrand the entire mm. brand. Same goes in Alyssa. And I thought that was really interesting. I was like, yay, I get to finally think about rebranding, branding in general. So that was fun. Honestly, that was one of some of the best moments I had in rebranding as well. Just being able to do all my research, come come up with a better story and ideas. There was a lot of learning to be done for sure. Uh, but seeing some of the, the good results was really happy. Uh, mm. It was a really happy time. So, so after all that happened, uh, I think like the, one of the saddest part is that I was not able to apply that to my own brand. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was able to do it better for other people. Don't ask me why. It's a question I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Until uh, now. No, we, we have yeah. to, we have to dig into that, man. Like, so, yeah. so yeah, for- but maybe, maybe, maybe when you and I have like, you know, private sessions and <laughs> figure that out, then we'll have a talk on when we discover it, because now it's just going to take three hours. If you're going to, yeah, that's probably, that's probably fair. Um, yeah, but then, um, then, then, and then KSK happened, right? Um, yeah. And uh, and this whole role that centered around branding yeah. uh, in a completely new industry was exciting. Yeah. Uh, what a lot of people don't know was at that moment of that offer, I was offered a senior head role at Prada. Oh wow! Uh, okay, I was in, in KL Paris. or where in Paris? 
in Milan. I was still in I was still in Paris and I was in KL for a holiday. They called me. I went for an interview just for fun. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. And but catch was I have to move back to KL. Then mm. I got an offer from Prada. Catch was I had to move to Milan. Um. So I was torn. Right, you have two. But yeah. then I decided, like you know what, an explorer. I'm going to go for something completely yeah. out of everyone's expectations of me. Yeah. Uh, also because I've had a taste of corporate fashion, I'm done. <laughs> so that, yeah. that the choice was rather easy to make. Also, Milan was not my favorite place, and uh, I think like like Malaysia, it was time. After nine years away, I thought I thought it was time. Yeah, just yeah. to move back to to KL. Uh, I miss KL. I miss my friends. I miss good food. But eventually, I know I'm not going to be in KL for long again. Um, I think you know this, Alex, yeah. that yeah. I always wanted to move to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but then COVID uh, happened. <laughs> then COVID happened, and then yeah. uh, politics happened, government happened, and so I decided to, uh, you know, take a step back for a while. So I've been in Malaysia yeah. for almost two, three years now. Um, uh, so yeah, I was torn at uh, that crossroads still. Uh, but then I decided to take a, a a job that was focused on branding instead of a job that put me back to a designer again. Yeah, correct. I thought I had just so much ideas and concepts to share with the world. Um, so yeah, I started with KSK and and then you know it's been really fun. Uh, we've been doing a lot of brand work. Um, KSK is not really just about property. I've been I did the whole brand for um their retail quarters, which was an experiential retail space. I did um their platter, which is a, an experienced dining hall. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming. A lot of cool brands like uh, Tech Solutions, and I'm doing the brand for all of that. So I'm, I'm really digging into ways I can enhance people's lives. Um. Uh, through food, through um, retail, through tax solutions, to property management. Uh, I had to brand all of these. Yeah. Um, you guys will, will see all of this soon. And uh, colors I pick, you know, affect the uh, It's supposed to, to affect the mood of people, the mood of the people that we are yeah. trying to talk to, the audience that we're trying to um, uh, get on board with us. Uh, so a lot of like science behind the choices in fonts, typography, concept, and colors that we make that you'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it doesn't resonate with you, that means you're just not our target audience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love the, the morals of the, the story. I mean, you it's it's something extremely uh, entrepreneurial because you chose not to pursue the, the, the well-known path that's safe and secure and prestigious. And I'm sure there was a lot of pay. And Ooh, I mean, it, it, it probably looks, <laughs> looks really amazing on your CV. You know, you bounced around all the world. You have fashion... Your 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 own brand line is selling in five different countries in eleven locations, and now you're now working for Prada, right? And it almost seems less illustrious to I'm going to join this no name. I mean, well, Malaysia people know KSK probably, and some of what they did, yeah. they're famous for the insurance line, but yeah. uh, globally, there that's what they want to aspire to probably, and that's much riskier, right? And it's uh, taking that risk first and, and, and doing going face into the certainty and solving difficult problems. Like it's probably much. I mean, there's different challenges. You know, if going to product, we're probably working for a brand new conglomerate to do branding. Uh, but, you know, I think one is more uncertain. And if you could solve certain degree of problems, you have high payout and more opportunities coming your way if you can solve these problems, right? And I'm sure you're probably seeing, you know, working at KSK for a few years, there's probably a lot of doors opening already, I'm sure, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In the property industry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. Uh, so let's. I just want to jump to then maybe because we're we're already quite far in time. I want to jump to two 
concepts, which is design and brand then. What, what exactly is design? Design is everything around you. Um, right now, your simple pillow, the chair you're sitting on, the headset you have on you, um, those glasses you chose, those are all design. I, 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 I will not, I don't think I will ever look at design solely as, hey, um, red is a design color or it has a funky shape that's design. Yeah, that is part of design. But I think design has always been designed to disrupt or enhance um, you see um, disruptive designs outside with uh, where they have like um, steel chairs with barriers or something you know to look it looks cool but actually it has a function yeah. which is to prevent people from sitting for very long yeah. so um, or design to enhance life is let's say take your glasses or headphones for example um, the way it curves the way it sits on your your face and uh, things like that um, it's all part of design. Yeah. It, Those are all part of design to me. Yeah. It, um, it should enhance or disrupt. Essentially, it's it's coming up with solutions to problems, right? Yeah. So the problem is I want to use, use these headphones and I want to listen to a company for a long time. Now, how does that manifest in reality, right? And then coming with that solution, of course, and then you mix it with the team, the product guy, and then, then the engineers to make it practically happen. And you work together and pops comes out the solution right and that could and, and that could happen in the world of fashion which i think for you you've been a fashion designer uh so you, what the question is you know what problems are you solving and because i've always struggled with that because it's a little bit more intangible like in technology uh, startups, uh, uh, there's ux design there's you know all types of design that are very tangible and practical and of course there's very untangible intangible aspects to it too like talking to users and how they feel but i mean i feel like it's even more nebulous for me as an outsider for fashion. So uh, what what is like design in the fashion world then? Well, I'll be real with you. Um, it solves nothing. <laughs> I'm not going to act like fashion's curing cancer or anything. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's I fair. I still love fashion, but let's be real. It's not, it's not a solution. There's an overabundance of fashion everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's not a solution to anything. It's causing wastage. It's causing... It's causing um, a lot of waste uh, uh, management issues as well. It's creating waste problems. So no, it's not solving anything. It's adding to a problem. Um, I don't think it'll ever be solved until the um, until humanity itself um, understands the concept of enough. Which you know, I myself do not understand that concept yet. No. Well, you're still. I young. do try to. A lot of things actually all yeah. of us we're trying to minimize right now yeah. right i guess the more woke generation are a bit more conscious yeah. and so the person is tapping into that conscious sustainable mindset but then they're not solving an issue they're tapping into this concept to make profit so that's just the reality of fashion so no we're not solving anything but that you, that uh, has got to be a controversial view like we talked earlier you're you're meeting your peers and have everyone well, have to to me me anyway. <laughs> yeah. But so what what are the what are the contending views then? Like what what's the devil's advocate in different flavors to what you're saying? I mean, like those people must believe it's real. Mm, if you ask me, um, um, if if you are if there are people who are not aware about this yet, would definitely probably say that. Well, it enhances me in a way. It makes me feel great. No. Um, it adds to my job value. I'm looking good for a job that I want. So it's a lot tied back to it. It ties back a lot to a lot of uh, to a lot of self signaling. Self a lot of signaling, actually, right? A lot of signaling and self need. So it's yeah. not really 
for the greater good or a lot of people. And I'm not, I'm definitely not acting like, hey, I'm thinking about the greater good either. I still buy pretty things. So, but I, okay. I still, I still want this discussion to be had. Yeah. Um, you know? So you're, you're yeah. telling me there's no, there's no fashion design that's designed for the opposite of that. Well, I wear something that's for the good of other people. I'm sure there is. Um, the thing is, it's been created years ago. Um, yeah. The t-shirt you decide to wear, the first parka ever created, the first little black dress ever created, the first 2.55 adjustable bag ever created, they were done in the 50s, 40s, 30s. Sure. They, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. The solutions were created. It's just reiterations now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's a very. Uh, I'm sure people will have different contending views, but then like so in this context then of of how you're defining. I mean that's in the context of fashion, but I guess also maybe in general design then as well. What what is good design versus bad design? I think good design is always comfort for when it comes to fashion. Okay. Full stop. Just comfort. Bad design is non-comfort, uncomfortable things, things you put on there stuff that is scratchy but looks good. That's not good design. <laughs> Okay, but I feel I feel a lot of people tolerate with bad design then from your definition, right? Very small amount of people. Okay, so it's not really a real thing. Everybody I've worked with in fashion who works works in fashion, okay. we wear t-shirts every day yeah. and sneakers. We don't care. We have to work. We have to feel comfortable. Yeah. Then that one night we decide to dress up, that's that one time. It's yeah. too neat. Yeah. But then what was... Okay, so... What's the point of embracing bad design for that one night then? Like you said, signaling. Just signaling. Okay. So it's, it's just, and I mean, that does, that does serve a purpose for people to advance their agendas of maybe getting more for themselves in that mm-hmm. culture of corporate, right? And then I guess exactly. that's part of what you left before. That lifestyle culture, that social yeah. media culture. Yeah. That personal branding culture. Let's, so let's just take this question then outside of fashion, but general design, good versus bad. Well, like I like I said, you have um like designs outside that are to disrupt and and and, and create a solution or enhance. That's what it is. That's mm-hmm. a good and bad design. There are designs created you create to disrupt the industry or world um or or bad functions or carton of milk that does not open right. Um, those are bad designs. <laughs> so what about for you though, right? Because at the end of the day, branding. Uh, cannot escape design completely. You you have a design background. Mm-hmm. You have to come up with solutions to problems. So in a sense, you have some element of design. What is your design process then? Um, it, could, it could be for fashion, it could be for branding, it could be for whatever. Like in general, what is your framework? For me, it's empathy first. Uh, understanding the needs of people first. Completely delving into their upbringing, how they function, um, and then understanding that and then creating something that would really help them. For me, that's my design process. It's really about that. That's a lot of advice given to young entrepreneurs, tech startups as well. You got to start from the people, understand their pain point, And then from there, you can only come up with a solution. Of course, what people always come up with their idea of the solution, but you need to get the customer feedback to actually make it yeah. I mean, a real problem to solve. Like- if they want like a really blatant advice, um, I do have a way. I mean, if you're looking to start something and you're trying to find a gap in the market or a solution that people are looking for, look in the industry that you want to start, something that you really love doing and that you, you really believe in. Then look at your competitor products and look for their reviews. 
the moment you look for their reviews, you know what people are missing. Mm. And from their reviews, you can, the power of the internet, right? You can track who those reviewers are. Yeah. That's what I do. I look, I, I sometimes sample up to 300 reviewers and I was able to track down who they are on Facebook and Instagram. So for four consecutive days, I would study how they post, mm. what they like on social media, what they choose to post on their stories, you know, everything. I yeah. study and then I sample and I create a chart and I, I find out their likes and dislikes and what they are consistently wanting and missing in their lives. And from there, I'm able to identify what exactly is missing in the market. That's a great that's a great uh, piece of advice because that's actual pragmatic user research done in mm -hmm. a way where then once you have that data construct, you create the persona where you can make, create your communication and story around that and where you find these people, then that's how you start to build your actual marketing strategy at the end of the day, right? You're right. And I think like there are people who will tell me, you know, there are a lot of easier ways to do this through um, softwares and apps and stuff like that. And I agree, there are. But nothing beats you getting your hands dirty mm. manually because then you're, you are able to empathize with the, have, to, sorry, have empathy with people that you are trying to relate to. Yeah. And you get to build proper assumptions and proper diagnosis of that directly than relying through an app that is very data-driven, which is great um, uh, for part of your process, but I don't think it'll get you to really understand because branding is still such an abstract concept that a lot of people find very hard to understand. So the best way to do it is really to get your hands dirty. I mean, you got to marry both, right? Essentially, I mean, it's just such a fascinating like convergence of, of concepts because uh, I feel there's one camp where they're in a very is it right-minded logical, right? So the extreme logical, they will just want the output of data and they will not consider the, the software aspects of, you know, empathy or feeling, which the honesty, like the best advice usually given is, is it's marrying both, you know, the soft side and the hard side together using the data, but you need kind of both experiences. What you're saying is that you can come up with the hard data, but through the process, you also empathize, you feel the pain, you talk to people and you pick up other things and that's putting them together to come up with a more fuller picture to have the actual better solution to create right. good design, right? Um, so describe to me on a more crea creative side then, uh, what, what is the balance and where does the line get drawn between creativity and practicality in design? Creativity and practicality in design. Um, I don't think I have a very strong answer for this because I'm not a product designer and a product designer normally thinks about creativity and practicality at the same time. Mm. I'm constantly thinking about relativity and, and that relatable idea mm -hmm. when it comes to branding and the design. So design and relatability for me when, it, it's, when I'm on the branding side, when you're doing concepts, design and practicality for product designers. So what you're doing is actually something in our industry is very compartmentalized as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, based on everyone's specific um uh, specific um, roles. So you have, uh, so as a creative director, we think about design and relatability. As an art director, you think about design and science. Um, and and uh, as a product designer, you think about design and practicality. And then, um, and it goes on. So so I, it's hard for me to answer that because I think it's not my place. Yeah. Mm, okay, that's fair. So you, you tend to always focus more on the creative side, the more of the, the people side, the branding. So yeah. I guess what, what what's essential for you is that if you have a team or a company that you're building, you got to find that other complement 
to make a whole picture. Otherwise, you're just very tunnel vision. I and, I, yeah, you cannot do everything on your own. Yeah, for sure. Very tunnel vision. Okay, so that's that's a fair answer. I kind of like this conversation because by trade, you are a fashion designer turned to branding, which seems like completely different worlds from startup and technology. But at the end of the day, there's that core foundation of design that marries everything together. And whatever you're talking about, man, these concepts exactly apply to building a startup from scratch, you know, and thinking about the problems, thinking about the people, right? It's, you know, you come from fashion design, but man, these, these skill sets are massively critical in building a startup as well in their entrepreneurial journey. It is. That's why a lot of successful creative directors, art directors, a lot of successful business directors I've met, they are all they are all very entrepreneurial, I feel. Mm. Because they, they it's very the way they think is very well rounded. It's very three sixty. Mm. It's not just like I'm doing this, I'm just gonna do this. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess if talking about those types of profiles, what, what are missing from them? What, 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 is, what do they lack that they need then? I think everyone's lacking in a lot of things every, every day. Um, uh, and I cannot speak for everybody because, you know, a, a very good creative director could be lacking in mm. charisma or personality, I guess, or maybe how they relate to people or maybe work ethics. <laughs> we don't know. Um, for me, I feel like what I lack sometimes um, as an entrepreneur is um, focus. Mm. Um, I want to do four things at once. It's a very common and problem. Feel, yeah. yeah, and I feel like sometimes I have to just do one. <laughs> when, and, I, and I found out the best solution for that is marrying yourself to a partner who's massively practical and very grounded oh, yeah. and making things that. feasible that can execute very well. And I think that marriage really works well where there's a good yin and yang tension where someone's always pulling you forward while the other one's making things actually happen and pulling you out of the realm where you do too much that's going to destroy you, right? So, yeah. and uh, I guess like you said, finding that partnership will be very key then. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for the last section that I would like to talk about then is branding your, your I guess, your forte now, what you focus on. And it's also very relevant to uh, the tech world and startups. Um, and if I don't know if you're familiar with Peter Thiel in his first manifesto zero to one, right? He has a, a, a section where he talks about the characteristics of monopolies. And it's not like a checklist, but it's more of a way to test how to make your company more durable, to make them last to become a monopoly. And he talks about, you know, from a technology perspective of a tech company, you need network effect, economies of scale, proprietary technology that no one else has. And the last thing he talks about actually is brand, right? Because the one thing a company has a monopoly on is the brand itself. And that in itself, if you could really own that and make it into something, is a very powerful way to make something last and endure, right? So for you, what exactly is brand? So brand is, well, for me, like, um, and I feel like I would say this all the time, um, Brand, brand, brand boils down to that one singular thing again. Um, how you relate to people. That's all. Mm-hmm. For that, for me personally, okay. how you relate to people. A lot of, I think a lot of people say like, oh, brand is like how you portray yourself, how you want people to see you, etc. Not wrong, but I think it boils down to relatability because that is as what Peter Thiel said. It sustains your brand, mm-hmm. um, long term your brand recall, brand equity, everything boils down to relatability and how the market wants to um, continue growing with you long-term. 
And now for all of all of us brand directors and creative directors, we're constantly talking about um, customer life cycles now. Uh, um, the ones we have to the ones that we are the aspirational customers to the current customers to the lost customers. How do we rotate them in a circle the entire lifetime uh, that they exist on this planet? and that they'll be loyal to us. Mm. And as long as we have that, there are generations to come, generations to come, generations to come, um, successfully embedding this into, um, into your ecosystem of a brand, it's, it's truly what branding is about. Yeah. You've already captured an entire generation of people that will be there to be your brand ambassadors their entire life. You, you're, you, you're done. And um, uh, brands that successfully do this definitely comes in uh, mega brands like Coca-Cola, McDonald's. Um, I'm not, I don't think tech are really into it because tech comes and go very fast. Uh, well, a, lot of a lot of lifestyle brands are very good at this because it's part of people's lives. Yeah. Actually, I can say um, Apple is really good at Apple, this because Apple, when, yeah. I, when, when, when I did my, yeah, when I did some case study, Apple went from tech to lifestyle. They yeah. were looking for ways to integrate into people's lifestyle. So they've successfully branded that. Um, LVMH, uh, hands down, one of the best ones. It's been generational. Like they're the only brands out there in the pandemic where they can raise their prices and they're still making money yeah they raised all their prices for their products nothing dropped during the pandemic and they're only raking in profits now it's the same it's thing for apple <laughs> i mean i'm glad you yeah. mentioned apple because that's the exact example that he uses in, in uh, peter thiel uses in the book for for an enduring brand and mon monopoly right and um yes. so what were the, what are some of those elements then those those things that we could look for in a strong brand that would exude or you know in itself become a monopoly then well uh for me it's um uh, maybe it will sound really bad saying this, but they have money, <laughs> um, and and the the uh the power of having that resources. Okay, I won't say it's not money, just resources in general. So you have that amount of resources means to be able to create impact, and impact is that one thing you need that triggers civilization era to era, and impact is something that's able to drill in something so profound in one era of their life or a moment in their lives that lasts their lifetime. And they are, and that's why brand recall is so important. Um, brand recall what, is- what, what is brand recall? So brand recall is um, to be able to, uh, I said this, recall, to recall a brand. What triggers something in your life that triggers you to recall that brand. So yeah. looking at the word I now triggers iMac, I, 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 whatever, iPod, and stuff like that. Okay, brand recall. So creating that level of impact requires heavy resources. But once you're able to create that, everything you see in your life moving forward recalls you back to that brand. Yeah. But that's I mean, that's, that, that's, that's for big companies who have solved big problems gotten scale. You're, mm -hmm. I mean, the, like, and I think this problem... Ones, they yeah, re, okay. they, for small ones, they also, also kind of... Um, uh, um, they kind of like, uh, what's that word for it? They kind of uh, uh, rely on, on, on this concept as well. Maybe not at the level of impact, but virality. Yeah. Okay. So, so I guess what, what you're saying is like one aspect of branding. Uh, so like, it's just not a big company thing. Even if you're a small company, you could have that same impact and effect of branding, assuming you can, you can make things viral. 
Yes, you can have the same impact, but uh, so one is one impact, one is viral. Uh, but I'll put it in simple terms in what fashion always calls it. One is iconic, one is called trending. Iconic mm. is when um, okay when 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 if Gigi Hadid is taking a a, a poop on something or she's wearing something, <laughs> Gigi Hadid is not iconic for doing that. Gigi Hadid yeah, yeah, yeah. is trending for doing that. Okay, yeah. so in the moment she was trending, and that still builds momentum. Now Madonna's um cone boop outfit bustier that's iconic um mm. uh that created an impact on in that era and has lasted generations till now you mentioned about cone tits everyone thinks about madonna as as, uh, as yeah. a brand that's iconic jihad is trending uh so it applies in on larger scale one makes an impact one survive one is more vi- viral an impact lasts a lifestyle a lifetime uh virality lasts just for the moment so are you telling me the small guys cannot create that iconic effect? It is very hard. It is very hard without resources because of internet. The algorithm okay. affects everything. If you create an to create an impact, you need to manipulate the entire algorithm just to be around. This whole this whole um uh this whole um uh government um, insurrection in America is going to be an icon- iconic thing now because of the impact it's creating, yes. the repercussions and ripples it's creating, and, the, uh, and how the entire algorithm around the world has been affected by it. It mm. is now going to be a, an impact and an icon of that era right yeah. now. Everyone's lifetime, for sure. But Kim, and, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West's divorce news is not going to be iconic. It's yeah. over, their, their algorithm is not hitting enough. It's a tiny news. It's just trending for the moment under the insurrection news. And hence, it's just going to be a thought process of that moment. But when you think of divorce, you're not going to think about Kanye and Kim. You're going to think about Brad, and Brad Pitt and, Angel, uh, and, and, sorry, and uh, Jennifer Aniston. Back then, the algorithm was around them. I mean, the news was around them. They made that impact as that couple and divorce and of that era. And so everyone just, when you think about divorce, you think about them. Or other iconic divorces that happen. So it's really, it's 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 very it's just so complex, right? There's just so much that goes into all okay. of it. So I guess, uh, but but what you could say is that it's not impossible to create a large uh, amount of scalable stickiness because there are certain types of companies that require brand first. I, I think so. I mean, like what you're saying is it's possible to delay branding to a degree if you're solving a big enough problem that can scale and then do branding later if you have the resources to have impact. Yeah. But another way is that there are some companies and business models that require branding upfront for it to be sticky and grow. I, yeah, I think uh, branding always needs to be upfront. Uh, yeah. The impact of branding that a lot of people want, a lot of investors want. Yeah. When they're investing in a brand, they want immediate results. Yeah. Um, that comes with that scalable resource. Uh, and that's yeah. why you see a lot of, a lot of like, um, entrepreneurs and CEOs making that decision to be absorbed by larger brands because they yeah. know that resource is is going to be able to create impact in the world yeah. and that's what they want and that virality and, and trending stuff in the moment is just very very short lived and they're all looking beyond that well it almost reminds me of, yes, of, of, the, of the fashion space so like the company that comes to mind it's probably very similar to your experience with fashion brands too is uh, Warby Parker, right? So on the back end, of course, there's a, a disruption, right? There's a disruption of but not the monopoly of eyeglasses 
where America has a real pain point because glasses are too expensive. So if they disrupt the supply chain, they can lower the cost. But on the front end, right, they need to create that stickiness. So they actually have to have a few, like an actual, what you described as branding for people to in the short term, but they're not going to have an impact, but they can create stickiness through the right, I don't know, uh, story, through the right feelings, right emotions, where people associate Warby Parker being cool and the place to go to for glasses. Uh, you know, and I guess it's probably similar for, for a young brand starting up, uh, in fashion where it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of homogenous goods that are very similar to each other. Of course, I think Warby Parker was, they, they solved the real problem where the prices were glasses. Why it probably wouldn't work in Asia because glasses are cheap already, right? And people don't take it seriously. But, but I think the more important part is the, the branding part is that, you know, even though you can't have an iconic era lasting impact, what you want to do is create stickiness long enough to get enough traction and momentum to grow the user base, to grow an exponential to the point where you have enough resources to maybe work on a concept that could make it last even longer, right? You're right. Yeah. And is there any other companies you could say then that have gone from this journey from small to big like this then that you would see as uh, we oh, all could study? I'm, I mean, app, uh, look at Apple. They're one of they're they're one of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, uh, the founder himself was visionary. He was not thinking yeah. momentarily. He was looking for you know I, uh, things beyond, and and uh, he, like it took them a while to get there. Yeah. That's the problem true. now is that everybody wants it now. Yeah. They forget that Apple has been around for ages. Mm-hmm. Microsoft has been around for ages. It takes a really long time. But kids these days just wants, wants it now. No, not just kids, actually. All these investors and <laughs> Everyone. stuff. Um, yeah. They put their money that they want it now. It's just how the world works. Um, we're always stuck in between. So we do our best. Any, any other brands that you personally like that you would recommend to look at? Um, brands that I'm really obsessed with right now. Let's see. That kind uh, of yeah, follow that pattern. It's like I work in branding, so I I I am quite aware of all their gimmicks. So sometimes it just puts me off. <laughs> well, they're, uh, okay, that that's the thing. So what do you love that that's not a gimmick? I guess architects are really my thing right now. <laughs> okay. I really I really like I really like uh works of arch- architects. I feel like they they don't they don't set out to create iconic moments. Or well, they, create, uh, but they become like, iconic though. They they just they become, become exactly yeah. accidental like artists. So I appreciate all this. I'm really into artists, architects, directors of movies and stuff, artists and visionaries themselves that yeah. um, are more focused on creating good work. That eventually becomes iconic. That's because they have uh, high impact. Yes, and yeah. that does not that 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 this that this i icons that they're creating did not come from a place that requires so much resources and algorithm manipulation to get there. Mm. It's that it's a natural progression which is missing from our world these days. So looking at them is a bit nostalgic and sort of remind me of a uh, you know days before when things were simpler, I guess. Well, it just reminds me a lot of conversations I have with F&B entrepreneurs and that they, they're looking for craftsmanship. You're doing it for the sake of making something really great. And then in that pursuit, you know, you solve problems for people that are just beyond what people have expected and that has the impact. Right? And then those things in itself become institutions. They become iconic, right? Mm-hmm. So then what, what are examples of weak brands then? Um. Brands that rush towards things very fast. Brands yeah. who like, 
also brands who expect us to to do grand things with very minimal resources. It's um, it always falls short. Give me some hard examples, something tangible we could explore. I don't really explore a lot of fill items. I always explore the successful ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think you can look at some local companies in Malaysia and their fill attempts. I, I can't name names for sure, but I, some you can you, you can look at their fill attempts at doing certain ads or launching campaigns that, that are just really half-assed. Yeah. Um, and I know teams in that are struggling because of resources, but they were expected to do grand things and, and results were supposed to be at the level of what Coca-Cola would launch a campaign level sort of result. And I always tell them like you need to stop mapping Coca-Cola and mega brands like this as your case study because yeah. you're comparing skills at different levels. You're not going to get a return of 50 million for spending 100,000. It's not realistic. So that does not happen in the in, in this current era. It could happen in 50 years ago, 30 years ago, not now. And they have to accept that. So how, how do you so when you talk to someone like that, how do you pair back their expectations and what is the right process then for, for them uh, to, to be successful? I ask them to re, yeah, I ask them to rethink about what they what the true objective is. The, 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 they, they tend to forget about the objective of campaigns because they're so tied in on the results that they want to garner. But in the end, getting all this like 50 million viewership, does it translate to anything for the company? No. Does it paint your company in a better light or does it just paint them as desperate? There's so many things that goes down. So these are the things you need to take a step back. If you want to paint your company as a trustworthy company, uh, one that you want to garner loyal customers, stable income, and establish stronger brand positioning, then you have to rethink the outcome and results that you're expecting. Mm, Definitely. Then you're able to tweak your mechanics around that better. Okay. Okay. So we, we definitely didn't get to a lot of my questions, but I, I think we could save that for another follow-up time. So I'll ask you one last question okay. then. How, yeah. how, can, how can you identify someone who really knows what they're talking about branding then? How do you know if they're really good at branding or they're just, you know, like maybe they're full of crap? Mm, okay. This is really hard. You know why? People in branding are really good at putting on a facade of looking, sounding really smart. Maybe I sound like that too sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> But um, but a lot of them tend to sound very convincing. And the most difficult part is, like I said, branding is a very abstract concept. There's no right or wrong. It's everything I said is debatable. It, uh, and, and, and it's not grounded on my values or my morals. So it's not solid either. You know, it's just an opinion and it's always debatable. And it's just, it boils down to how many people agree with that opinion. So, um, the amount of people that agrees with that opinion will probably be the winning end. And so I would know that if he's, if that other person is, you know, spewing real facts um, that comes from a large scale uh, echoed voices already, then I, I would think that, you know, he'd actually listen and he actually understand what's going on. And maybe once in a while, I find a really smart person that also brings up an idea no one has talked about, but, if it makes sense, then, you know, it just makes sense. So you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. So so I don't think uh, 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 there, uh, you can truly spot a bad brand person. A bad brand person would probably sound someone that sound like someone who who anyone can just spot. Like, he, like they probably sound like full of crap. They'll be like, oh, you know, you want good branding? Just find a celebrity to endorse you. 
But at the same time, that's also the, the also not wrong. So okay. it boils down to delivery, I guess. The delivery. If this sounds convincing yeah. or not. So, so, and well, like branding. If you don't like that, whatever they say is gonna be crap. <laughs> that's makes it almost sounding impossible to find. But like is there any tangible way to tie it back to actual goals? And results to the attributes of branding, or is that too intangible to really tie it I together? Guess, I guess your portfolio speaks volumes. Then I guess it so it depends on who you've worked with and what those people are saying about you. And then, uh, of, of course, you know if you get very big uh, along your career, then you know if you worked on something with high impact to a degree, you could say that's part part of your story too. I guess you're right. Um. That's uh, I I don't know if that helps our our listeners in identifying because it's like you said you know if they're if you're at least somewhat decent at branding you're going to be because sound convincing and then you're only going to find out later after working together whether it had impact or not of what you wanted to achieve and then you find out later that that person was not it I guess I think for our listeners that's why uh, in branding it's it's always been such a um, a a complicated thing and conversation to have. And every time I ask people about branding, no one really understands what branding really is. And it's, a, it's going to be an ongoing conversation. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's a conversation we have to continue. Um, yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug before we close off? Anything you want to talk about? Um, no, I think uh, you covered everything. Okay, great. I mean, there's still more to talk about in the future, but definitely yeah. thank you for your time. And I hope, you know, for the people oh, listening, we've covered some new topics about branding you haven't thought about. And uh, if uh, people want to reach out to you to learn more or to maybe consult you, uh, how can we reach you? Um, get my contact from you. Okay. Yeah, you can contact <laughs> me at Entrepreneurs of Asia. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have a Twitter? Um, I don't have a Twitter. I have Instagram, Jonathan Liang underscore. That's it. Okay, so we'll follow you at Jonathan Liang underscore. All right, Jonathan, thanks for your time. No, thank you. Thank you. Hey, listeners, thanks for listening to another episode of EOA. If you enjoyed the content or if you learned something, please share the love. Share this episode to your friends and family and help review us on your podcast platform. So what did we learn today? The soft power of culture definitely dictates more of our lives and choices consciously and unconsciously, whether we acknowledge it or not. Here lies in the power of the creative entrepreneur. Culture and arts do often dictate and dominate what society consumes, shaping ideals, morality, identity, and values, which in turn shapes how we live today and how we may shape tomorrow. Along the folds of these ideas intertwined is the power of branding and storytelling and the solutions of what we wish to create through design. I think further discussion is warranted along the lines of how an entrepreneur can harness and master what they in theory have a monopoly on, their own brand. How to create iconic moments at scale, is this something truly for the big boys only? What does that mean for the small guy starting out? Hopefully here at EOA we can come across more brand experts and creative entrepreneurs to continue this discussion. Hopefully you learned something today, EOA out.